it is uh, a really the end of what I would say is a love letter from Paul. Paul is, uh, has said some really difficult things to hear. He's called some people out. He's given some encouragement and exhortation, and he has done all of this out of an abundance of love. So let's break down exactly what it is that he's saying here. We'll begin in uh, verse 1. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Give me one second. Let me get this pulled up. So this is important. Uh, so let me just let me let me reset this. So now concerning the collection for the saints, he's talking about giving. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. This is important, but our culture does not want to hear it. When it comes to giving, when it comes to what we call the tithe in the church today, it is an important conversation to be had, but it is, bottom line, a conversation that people do not want to hear. When we were looking at planting the church over a decade ago, we were meeting with people, asking people who didn't attend church regularly, number one reason why you don't attend church regularly was because they talk about giving, because all they want is my money. And what we have is a culture that says, well, the church exists to get my money. That's why it exists. And, and, and the reality is that we can debate how much we should give, but we cannot debate that we should give. It's really not a debate that we invest financially into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, we can debate on how much. I, I want to point to a couple of things for you real quick. The, the first two instances that we see of giving, okay, uh, after we see the dispersion, right, uh, of, of humanity, Adam and Eve, uh, you have Cain and Abel, they bring a gift, it's not good enough. And then the next time that we see giving is from uh, uh, Abram giving to Melchizedek, and then Jacob's offering. And both of these were given without anyone giving instruction. Nobody came and said, hey, you need to give X amount of money to the Lord. Uh, both of these examples that we see were examples that were given because of an understanding that because God is creator and God is Lord of my life, I should, I should be giving. Jacob specifically in Genesis 28, he's making a bargain with God. He says, God, if you'll provide for me, put clothes on my back, food to eat, a shelter in place, I'm going to give 10% of what I have back to you. So this 10% number that we see represented in both of these, this was not instruction from God to man. It was them saying 10% is the amount that I'm picking to give. Okay, so this was at the end of the day an overflow of a heart of faith. It was not a command from God. It was not a, a form of obedience, like, oh, man, I've got to do this because God's going to get me or else. It was, I have faith in God, and I want to make an investment. I want you to look just a little bit after that in Exodus 36, verse 3. It says, 
that they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. And so there was a, 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 a culture among these people, these early believers, that they gave so much that he, he had to come and say, you got to stop giving, Okay. You've got to stop. There was a restraint that was put on them. And I'm not saying this in any way to bring any type of condemnation to those of you that are listening. I just want you to receive instruction, right? Because many of, of you are faithful givers. Many of you struggle with that, right? And I respect where you're at in the struggle. It's a real struggle. And I'm not up here to tell you what percentage you need to be giving. I personally do not believe that there is a biblical mandate on the New Testament church to give 10%. I don't find it in scripture. I know that a lot of churches teach it. I'm open to a conversation with somebody who holds that close-handed in their, in their life, right? Okay, but I, I don't find that. I believe that you should be contributing to ministry, specifically the local church, out of a place that's of generosity in your heart after you have met your other responsibilities, right? And so if making a contribution to the local church means that you don't make rent or you don't pay your utilities, don't do that, right? Go to the Lord. Lord, I've, I've got my finances in the position that they're in. Either it's because of hardship or poor choices or whatever it looks like. Lord, if you'll help me to be able to produce more, I'll be faithful to give. And position yourself to give what you can give to be an investment. So here in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul now is wrapping up some thoughts and he's talking about the importance of giving. And he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. What does Paul say when it comes to giving? He says this, plan your giving, prioritize your giving, preserve your giving and place your giving. Make a plan, right, when it comes to giving. Don't just, don't, one of the things that, the, that, that people in the name of the gospel or the name of Christ have done, evangelists, uh, it's kind of like the meme uh, for the televangelist, is that they have used language to play on the emotions of people saying, in faith, give beyond your means, right? Okay, and what happens, I'm going to tell you what happens. Y'all, can I just be honest with you for a moment? Here's what happens, is that the televangelist tells you to do that. You feel emotionally stirred to the cause, so you give, then you can't pay rent, and who do you come to get money from to help pay rent? The local church. And you come in and go, oh, I don't have enough money, you know, and it's like, well, what are some of the reasons? Well, I mean, there were, you know, these starving kids, and this pastor that was on TV said that, you know, we were going to buy him a Gulf Stream to help him get there to those starving kids, right? I'm just kidding, but not really. All right. So what does he tell you? He says, make a plan when it comes to giving. Don't be impulsive. So what do you do when you make a plan? You set a time, right? On the first day of every week. Paul just makes it really, really simple for them. He says, make this a part of your conversation, 
right? So when it comes to giving, right, come together, set it and forget it. That's the language that I like, set it and forget it. And it's easier than ever in today's culture, right? Because you can go online, set up what you want to give and just let reoccurring giving be in place so that it's not something that you're having to constantly come back to, right? But there is nothing wrong with the diligence of having the conversation regularly in your home. Coming together and going, hey, what do we want to do? What do we want to contribute to? How do we want to invest our finances, right? Because I, I would like to believe that you're having those conversations about where, how you want retirement to look, right? That you're having those conversations about what kind of car you want to be driving, right? Okay, so, so there, there needs to be a culture within the church, not just here at City Church, but a culture within the church body that sees the investment in the kingdom as being something that we are compelled to be a part of, right? And that we want to be a part of. And watch what he says. He says, now when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So it's important to have people that are involved in the system. Uh, and and, and, and Paul is an apostle, right? So he says, when I arrive, Paul is an apostle who has planted churches, okay? And then he travels to them. So he's not just the person who's like always involved in this one aspect of ministry. And so there's a call here to get people involved. Verse four, he says, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So now Paul is wrapping up this letter telling them, hey, you need to intentionally make a plan on what you're doing with your money, invest financially into the church, make it a part of what you're doing. So what is their response to this, right? right? I mean, like we would love to think like, okay, can we get a, a glimpse into how they respond to this message? Because culturally, in our culture, we would go, well, that really upsets people, right? I mean, they tune out, they don't wanna hear it, or they have all their reasons or, or whatever it is. Thankfully, Paul writes another letter to the church in Corinth, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, he says, And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What is he talking about? He's talking about their giving, and he says the readiness, the ability to invest in the kingdom comes out of what they have, not out of what they do not have, meaning that they have somehow figured out how to make a plan to be invested in the kingdom, and he praises them for it. And we'll get to that when we do 2 Corinthians. So, so they begin to take the, the teaching, and they begin to apply it in their lives. And so Bottom line, here at City Church, you hear this every Sunday, we don't pass an offering plate, but we do believe in giving. It is a part of the Christian faith. It is a part of what it looks like to be a believer is to invest in ministry. And I would be remiss to only talk about it from the perspective of the local church and those finances coming in without talking about what ministries do. In fact, historically speaking, the Christian church, because of the funding of ministry, has led the way for 2,000 years in women's rights, the fight against slavery, hospitals, uh, infanticide. There was, a, historically speaking, all the way up to the time of Christ, you know, instead of abortion, they practiced this, they had this practice of when a baby was born, if they didn't want it or they wanted to maintain population control, they just killed babies. Right? And we saw that with the Egyptians wanting to suppress the population growth of the Hebrew people. And this is why Moses is put in a basket and sent down the river. Okay? 
Plato, he writes about the importance of this practice. We need to kill infants and keep the population down. The Christ Christianity came on the scene and began to say, no, every life has value. And because lives have value, this is a practice we should not be participating in. Shelters led by ministries, uh, soup kitchens, addiction recovery. We support one here locally, Savannah Mission Bible Training Center, uh, just down the street. Our guys go and minister there uh, weekly. They even do a meal uh, once a month for them and minister in a, in a kind of a bigger setting. You could be a part of that. These are the types of things that Christians have led the way in, orphanages. And some specific ministries, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the YMCA, Habitat for Humanity, all of these were birthed out of the hearts of Christian leaders who, who took resources and funding and they impacted the world around them. Now, unfortunately, what happens is that we get a generation removed and oftentimes we begin to listen to the culture outside of the church and we bring leadership in that doesn't have a gospel heart or a gospel-minded heart and we begin to see these types of ministries take on their own look their own look and ultimately fall away from God right okay but the reality is that all of these things and the impact they had in their beginning it all was a, a fruit of the Christian church so uh, Matthew chapter 24 verse 5 the argument will be made by many that, uh, well, not everything that has come in the name of the church has, uh, has been good, right? But remember this, he says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Uh, we could go through a, a multitude of passages that remind us and inform us that not everybody who calls himself a Christian, not everyone who comes in the name of Christ is doing the work of the Father. And so absolutely there have been people who have come and said, I'm a Christ follower. I am uh, here to declare the gospel with wicked intentions, and they have done things that have led people astray. That is 100% true. Back to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And watch this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. So this is kind of significant that he mentions Ephesus because remember just before this, he was talking about Ephesus. He says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Remember, he says, hey, if, if the gospel wasn't for real, right, then why would I have faced off with the beasts in Ephesus, the, those people who hated me and wanted me dead? And now he tells them, he says, I can't wait to come and see you, but I got to tell you, God's up to something. You know how I know God's up to something? God's up to something because there are people that are trying to shut me down. That's how I know that God's up to something. And I, I, I just, I, I, I love the, to to use this, this uh, phrase with my kids, there's a book we read uh, with them uh, called Do Hard Things, right? And so when my kids begin to talk about, oh man, this is difficult, you don't know how hard it is, I just tell them, do hard things, right? Why is it Paul says? Paul says, I'm staying because it's hard, right? He says, I'm going to be here in Ephesus a little bit longer because I believe there's some fruit that's going to shake out of this tree. How do I know that? Because there are people with chainsaws trying to chop the limbs off. But man, I'm working hard, I'm working fast. 
I need you to be in prayer. And if the gospel were not real and the resurrection were not a thing, I would have left here a long time ago because I know that you won't treat me this way, but I'm going to stick it out here for a little bit. And that's an encouragement to me uh, to, to really understand the character of Paul. Verse 10, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Timothy is uh, somebody that Paul is traveling and doing ministry with. He's mentoring Timothy. He loves him like a son, and he wants to make sure uh, that they are taking care of Timothy. Why? Because Paul cared for Timothy, okay? And so he says, Timothy's coming before me. I want to make sure that you're taking care of him. Another really interesting concept here is that Timothy was dealing with some, uh, some resistance in ministry, and he was navigating it differently than Paul. And we know this through the writings, okay? And so I think that really speaks to the fact that we all navigate life differently, and that's okay. And so for Paul, he's like, man, this is really difficult. Man, I'm so excited, right? And Timothy, on the same hand, he, he faces some resistance, and he begins to ask questions and doesn't know what to do. And so Paul, caring for Timothy, says, listen, Timothy's coming your way. You need to take care of him, right? You need to love on him. And this is an important aspect for the church to get a hold of. Like, like the church globally, we need to be able to love people who are in a position, who are faithful people, they love the Lord, but they're in a position maybe of confusion or they're having a difficult time. It is okay to love on them and to love them through it. And Paul is encouraging the church to do this, right? Because he says, I am for Timothy. I want you to be for Timothy. Verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So this is some kind of strong language. He says, but it was not his will at all, at all. He didn't want any part of it. My brother, Apollos, I want him to come. He doesn't want anything to do with it, okay? All right, now, he will come when he has opportunity. I want to say, disagreement is okay. How we disagree defines us. And it would have been really easy here for Paul to be like, listen, I'm the apostle. Apollos is the evangelist. He needs to be listening to me. I've told him to come. If he shows up, y'all chase him out of town. I want you to love on Timothy, but Apollos, he, he spoke ill. He didn't do what I told him to do, and, and he better do what I tell him to do. But he doesn't do that. No, in fact, he says, he's, he says, I, I want to make it known. I encourage Apollos to come. He said, no, I can't do it right now. He'll eventually get there, guys. He'll eventually be there with you. And, and I, I got to think that, that this heartbeat is a really difficult one in ministry for ministers to get a hold of. And really, I, I don't even think it's taught on enough, okay? The idea that it is okay to not see things the same way. What we need to do is look at the, 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 the way that a heart responds to disagreement. And this is probably why 
uh, Paul was okay with Apollos saying no because he knew that at the end of the day, Apollos would listen. Why? Acts chapter 18, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos was ministering, they heard him ministering, they pulled him aside, and he listened to what they had to say and went out from there uh, having grown right? So Apollos got it wrong, but was willing to grow. And this is really, should be the heart of every believer, certainly has to be the heart of ministers, right? If we get it wrong, we need to be willing to grow, and then we need to continue to be able to walk in harmony with those who are also striving for the same thing. And so Paul says, look, I encouraged Apollos to come. I'm not going to speak ill of him. Why? Because I know at the end of the day, Apollos wants to be in the right place. So he will eventually get there. He will eventually come to ministry. I am okay with that. Also remember that uh, some of them had, had in, in, in their, their questions, some of them had asked the questions to Paul in such a way that it was like, hey, Apollos is saying this, and you have said this, Right? And so there's already like a tension in the air that maybe Apollos is teaching things slightly different than Paul, and Paul is not trying to throw the entire ministry of Apollos under the bus, right? Paul is definitely making it known, listen, I, I'm, I walk closer with the Lord, I understand these things in a way, I have the schooling, the training, the encounter, I know what I'm talking about. Apollos has a good heart, but he's, he doesn't have the experience that I have, so he's getting some of these things wrong. Eventually he'll get them right, we've seen him do that. So eventually, Apollos will be back there with you. Verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So this is some pretty powerful language right here, right, that he, that he uses. This word or this phrase here, be watchful, okay? When we look at this, this is to be awake, aware, alert. So he says, he says listen, I, I need you to be awake. I need you to be paying attention. Stand firm, what? Stand firm in the faith. This means to be, to persevere, to be stationary. Um, and, and I, th- this is one of the, 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 the cultural challenges that we in, in this time period face, right? Um, it is okay to be stationary. Do you, do you know that? Do you know that it's okay to, to pause in, in, when it comes to policies, when it comes to economics, it's okay not to be progressive for the sake of being progressive, right? There should be a balance of like, hey, okay, we'll, we'll give this a little bit of a try. We'll see how it works, right? That's okay. That's a good thing. Society moves forward, right? But, but it is also okay to be stationary. It is okay to say, whoa, 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 I don't know about that right now. Why, right? Because what, what as Christians, and I want you to hear what I'm saying here. As Christians, we are to guard the teaching of the gospel. And if we are a part of a system that prevents the teaching of the gospel, perverts the teaching of the gospel, then we have some fault in that. And so we have to slow, the, slow it down and begin to, and to begin to ask the question, how does this impact the gospel? How does this impact the message? And so it's okay. He says, stand firm in the faith. And then he says, act like men, okay? Act like men. And, and, and this, is, this means exactly what it sounds like, okay? Act masculine, be a man, but he is, it is also this really interesting language that it is exclusively directed to men. 
So the word is not in, in, directed at everybody. It is a, a, a Greek word that, that is in itself masculine in nature. And so it is spoken to the men. And so it would say, men act like men, right? Now, what does that communicate, right? Okay, well, culturally today, you know, you would have somebody who would go, oh, act like a man. That's like, you're, so you're just a, a terrible human being and you're just, you know, all powerful and you see yourself as the highest being in the land. That's not what a man acts like, right? That's Genghis Khan, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, uh, that's some terrible, you know, dictator, ruler that's oppressive to people. That's not what a man acts like. No, a man takes responsibility for his home. A man provides for his family. A man does the hard work. A man serves. A man outserves everyone in his home. A man serves, and that's right, that's what I'm talking about. That's what a man acts like. So when we say act like a man, right, anybody can come and say whatever they want to say about how chauvinist that sounds. You know what I'm saying? That's not how we define that term. Now, we can change the definitions, okay, and we can make being a man something that it's not intended to be, right? And then all we do is create confusion because we're using the same word in different ways. I want to tell you, he's speaking to the men and he's saying, act like a man, act like a man. And then he says, finally in this verse, be strong. Be strong. What does that mean? It means to grow strong, to increase in vigor. So, so be stationary, right? That's good, but continue to gain strength in what you're doing. How do we gain strength when it comes to these principles? Man, learn the gospel. Learn that, that, that the resurrection is one half of it. The other half of it is my story. That together is, is the, the thing that compels a person to know Jesus. So grow in that. Become confident in that, right? And then he comes into this next part of that statement and says, finally, right, uh, uh, oh, Ephesians 6, I, I did want to mention this about being strong. It's not just physical strength. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, right? Paul, he expounded on this in Ephesians, right? So it's more than just becoming strong by pumping iron and hitting the gym, you know what I'm saying? Getting those gains, right? What, what he is talking about here is something that is spiritual. It is in that relationship. So here he goes into verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. And so he's wrapping up all these thoughts and he's like kind of like just like hammering them down quick, 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 quick. And then he comes into this place and he says, let all that you do be done in love. And this love is to have an affection or a benevolence about you, Right? Be kind to people. Be generous to people, right? right? So if you're going to be strong, if you're going to act like a man-men, if you're going to carry on this type of character as a follower of Christ, do it with generosity and with kindness, right? But be consistent. Don't abandon the gospel. Don't neglect the resurrection, right? He says, now... I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. 
He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and uh, Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. Okay, so these must have been the ones to bring Paul the questions that he is responding to in this letter. We don't know much about them outside of that. So this group of people, he trusts them. They bring the letter uh, with all the questions. So now he is writing the response. And I, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to understand the power of a saint, of a of a believer who is not standing in the pulpit. It is right here in this next verse. Uh, and it is something that has been so made real in mine and Carmen's lives this last year. He says here, he says, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. I got to tell you, uh, this is a reality. When, when as a minister, as a pastor, uh, sometimes you don't even realize that you need refreshing until people begin to rally around you and bring the encouragement. And I had a real epiphany of this when we were walking through Carmen's surgery and our sickness this last year, and just every, everything, as hard as it was, as difficult as it was, I, would, I, remembered, I remember so vividly pulling into the driveway, right? And I had uh, had an encounter with somebody who had just been just really terrible to me uh, at a grocery store. Um, just, uh, just I was having a hard time with it, right? Somebody that I should have been able to hug their neck and tell them I love them. And so I'm just struggling with that because that just happens, you know? It's just people, right? And uh, I, I pulled into the driveway and there was uh, uh, a family from this church that was in the driveway delivering food to our home. And man, I'm just telling you, it just hit me so hard that that, that, that there might be those that are discontent and upset, but the Lord has put people around us to refresh us. And in the midst of that really difficult season, I walked away incredibly refreshed. And that is because of the love of the saints, the people who are in the church. And I want to encourage you, don't take that for granted. Don't take loving on people like myself and other ministers in this church, loving on them for granted. Please know it makes a difference in our lives. The encouragement, uh, the little acts of service, they, they make a huge, huge impact in our lives and in our family's lives. And that's what Paul's talking about right here. Verse 19, so the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, this is a verse that I hear people use all the time to attempt to nullify scripture, right? Okay, well, you're supposed to do what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss. Do you do that? No, you don't. Well, you must not believe the Bible. So the Bible is fake. Boom. Dr mic drop. And they came walking off stage, right? Okay. Well, let's do a little bit of research on this for just a moment. All right. So it says, Paul says, hey, we send greetings. And then I encourage you to greet each other with a holy kiss. Okay. Now, the key to this, the key to this is here in the word holy, sacred, for God, okay? Holy, sacred for God. What does he say? He says, greet each other in this sacred, holy, and the word that we translate to is kiss, and it is, that, is a, that is an accurate translation, okay? So that, that word, though, is, a, is used as kiss exclusively in Scripture 
in the form of a greeting. It is never the same word that is used as a form of intimacy, all right? It's never used as the type of kiss that's like, I kissed her because, ah, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, how do you describe that moment, right? Uh, uh, I, yeah, did I do a good job? Uh, in fact, a uh, little side quest here for you. Uh, I, so I had dated Carmen for six months and uh, had not kissed her. And I respect, like I've got friends that they didn't kiss until they were married. Man, more power to you. I remember standing there on the front porch and it was just the perfect night. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna kiss her. Is she gonna let me? And I'm like sitting here in this whole like, like I'm in my head really hardcore. And then I, I leaned forward and I kissed her. And I, everything went like, in my head, and I was said, bye, I love you, and she's like staring at me, and I'm thinking, I just said I love her, and I just kissed her for the first time, and the, my, my response was, I thought you were my mom. <laughs> True story. And so did I, did, did I think she was my mom when I was kissing her, or when I was telling her I love her, and I'm like, Aah! And you could probably see this. I awkwardly stumble down the steps and it's like, I'll see you tomorrow. And I get in my car and uh, my sister was with me and uh, she had, uh, was riding home. And so she's laughing. She has no idea what I said. She just sees me making a total clown out of myself, falling down the stairs. Uh, so, so, so there's something about a kiss, right? That's a little bit different than what's being said here. And I want to add, and we look at this all the time culture. The culture of the day was to greet each other with a kiss. What was that? It was a kiss on the cheek, not on the lips. It was not a form of intimacy. And it is still done that way in, re in some of these regions today. Same way. Still done. Okay? What he is saying is greet each other in a way that is sacred to the Lord. Be respectful to the other person. This is somebody who is created in the image of God. So don't walk up to them and be like, I don't really like them, so yeah, what's up? And, and, and go on your way, right? Greet each other. We are family, right? And so the call is here is maybe that's today. It's, it was shaking hands. Now it's like fist bumps, elbow bumps, you know. I had a guy the other day in my neighborhood that I met, and, and he was, hey, it's so good to meet you. And I'm like, what are you doing? He was like, oh, you know, with the virus and all. And I was like, oh, yeah, gotcha, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's fine. I, I, I don't, I, I, it offends people that I even mention it, but I am not offended. Like if somebody is like, wants to talk to me from 25 feet away, I'm not offended by that. I don't think to I, myself, and I might laugh when I walk away and think, you know, that was really interesting. You know what I'm saying? But I'm sure that I do things that are weird to other people, right? Okay. I mean, they were up here talking about the Super Bowl a minute ago. And I said, you know, I bet if I said Luke Skywalker, we'd get a bigger applause than that, right? You know what I'm saying? So, 
Uh, so I'm, I'm weird. I'm okay with that, right? The important thing is, is do we respect each other, right? Do we see each other as children of God? That's the holy aspect of the greeting. It doesn't discount anything. Now, if somebody were to go, you know, are you rude to other believers? Then I, I would say, yeah, you're not being obedient because it does say that we greet each other in a way that honors God multiple times in Scripture, right? So be kind to one another. And then he says here, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This it might be something you just kind of pass over. You're like, oh, okay, it's just an encouragement. No, 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 no. Historically speaking, there was a problem. There were counterfeits circulating. Because of the influence that Paul had on the establishment of the church, there were letters that were circulating that were leading people to, to, to training and understanding that was unbiblical. It, there was malice behind it. And so there were letters that were showing up to churches that Paul had been ministering at that were telling people things that were contrary to Scripture, and Paul wants to make sure that they know this is a letter coming directly from me. Now, if you'll remember way back at the beginning of this message, Paul makes that comment. He says, if you could have given me your eyes, you would have, right? That there is a theory that Paul had at some point um, had something go wrong with his eyes, potentially when he had been thrown off of a building, okay, that he had potentially uh, had some type of damage and did not see as well as he used to. This is a theory. Probably what's happening here, we know that, the, that Paul did not write the letters himself. He dictated them, not because he was incapable, but probably because he could not see very well. And so this portion of the letter was written in a much larger text as somebody who struggles seeing. And so he says, I, Paul, meaning that in this salutation here at this point, he's writing it himself. He's dictated it up to this point. He's writing this part himself. And so this becomes the last thing that Paul is going to say in this letter. And, and I got to tell you, as he's writing these letters, he's not writing these letters in the sense of like, like this is good and I'll definitely write you another letter tomorrow, okay? Not that he's not open to that, but he knows that what he is doing is, has created adversity. So at any time, Paul's life could end. And so you have to think that in terms of writing to people that you care about, you, you're going to kind of those last things that you're saying, they, they're going to have some weight to them, right? Whenever I go out of the country on a, on a mission trip, I always, and maybe it's just my own personal in reflection, but I always think through like, okay, what are the last things I'm going to say? I want to make sure my kids know I love them so much, okay? So there's lots of extra hugs and embraces, and I love you, I love you, I love you, you, may, you mean so much, take care of your mom, all those things, right? Because if something happens, I don't want it to be, well, dad was upset the night before, and he had a fight with mom, and then I didn't see him again, you know what I'm saying? And so, so with that in mind, Paul is kind of getting these last thoughts in right here, and I think that they're important ones. Verse 22 he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. And this is a really bold statement here. And he uses this word love. And this word love is used, um, the exact same word is used in John 21, verse 17. He said to him the third time, this is Jesus and Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, that's Peter, do you love me? This is the third time. He uses the same word for love. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, 
feed my sheep. And so Paul says that, that if somebody does not have this type of love, right, this type of love, right, he says that they are accursed. What is this? This love is this word fillet, which is where the word kiss comes from. It's a, 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 a der, div, der, derivation derivative, there you go, that's why I married the smart one, a derivative of the word love, and it says to, it is to be a friend or to have affection for, okay, all right? And so Paul says that if you don't have affection for Jesus, if you do not love Jesus, right, if you do not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Now, that does not mean let's, hey, let's do a little seance and we've got a curse that's prepared, right? Okay, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually curse somebody on Etsy now. $2,000, a witch will curse somebody for you and the reviews are through the roof. I mean, I'm telling you. <laughs> I thought this many people pay $2,000 for a stranger to say they cursed somebody? I got to get a new gig, right? <laughs> that's not what this is. It is to be banned or excommunicated. He says, look, if you identify that somebody does not love the Lord, and we're talking among the brothers and the sisters, the people that are in the church, he goes back to what did he say at the beginning when he was talking about the man who was having intimate relations with his father's wife. Set him out that the devil might sift him, right? So that he may come back to the Lord. What is that? Listen, if somebody does not love Jesus and they call themselves a believer, Right. What is the measure of love? Feed my sheep, right? That's what, that's what he told Peter. Well, if you love me, then you're going to do what? You're going to love one another. And if you see somebody among you that's not doing that, he says, let him be excommunicated. And then he uses this word, our, or this, these words, our Lord come, right? Now, we translate that to be maranatha. We use it as one word. It's two words uh, there in the Greek. And this is the approaching of divine judgment or that the Lord come. It is basically this type of thing that says, Lord, come quickly, maranatha, okay? And then he says that the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Paul wants them to experience Jesus's grace because he loves them. So what is his prayer? His prayer is not, okay, listen, if somebody doesn't love Jesus, let them be accursed. I hope y'all get y'all's act together by the time I get there, because if not, I'm telling you right now, some of you are going to be accursed. No, that's not what he says. He says, I want you to experience the grace of Jesus. And let me tell you, that is a heart condition. When somebody wants somebody else to be restored, when you want somebody else to, 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 to experience the grace of God, that speaks a lot about your heart, Right? Because the, a heart of retribution, jealousy, hate, vile, does not look at somebody else in suffering and say, man, I hope that they get through this. How can I be involved in helping them get through this? But that is what a follower of Christ does. They walk through those things. And he says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. And what does he say here? He says that I love you. What has he done? Man, it's been a really difficult uh, conversation. Some of you are doing things that are, are, are really sinful, and you've got to change. Some of you are not quite meeting the mark. You're not following the, 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 the expectations of the Scripture. Some of you are denying the resurrection. Listen, I got to tell you, I rebuke that 
you have to get it together. And why would he say all of these really difficult things? Because that is a measure of love. Let me, let me, let me explain to you this, this way, all right? When we discipline our children, right, it's very easy to fall into a position of discipline out of frustration, okay? And that's not a healthy place to discipline your children, okay? That's not a healthy place to, to rebuke anybody is it out of a place of frustration, right? You should always try to, to, to make sure you're being rational and calm, okay? But discipline is discipline. Discipline is not exhortation. Discipline is not some type of gratification for an individual. Discipline is discipline, and, and we discipline because we love. Now, when we discipline out of a position of retribution or hate or frustration, right, then there is shame and embarrassment on the other side of that, right, for, for both parties, okay? But when we do it out of a place of love, you know what happens is, is that I discipline, there's a reaction, and then if it's crying or whatever the response is, it is followed by me with my arms wrapped around them telling them how much I love them. Why? Because I fully understand that free-range parenting, right, that's a really cool hip word, does not produce an adult that loves Jesus and functions in a society where they stand on their own two feet, take responsibility for their actions, care for others. Those are things that foolishness is bound into the heart of a child is what Scripture says, right? And so if I understand that, then, then if I love them, really love them, right? right? It is selfless of me to be engaged and involved in their lives, both as bringing exhortation when they do well and correction when they are doing wrong. And I got to tell you, Paul is taking the time to send this response, and he wants to come and spend the entire winter with them. He wants to come and spend a season with them. Why? Because he loves them. And I, I come back to this. Every time we get into a conversation around love, uh, and I got to tell you that, that this is one of the words that bothers me so much that we have redefined this term. Love is love. That is not what love is, all right? Okay? Love is not love. Love is, is, is relationship. It's expectation. It's encouragement. It is sometimes rebuke. Love is an engagement. It is a reality. It is a lifelong experience, that we are a part of, okay? And if, if all I do is accept whatever somebody else is describing as their reality, even to detriment, right, that is not love. That is not love. And, and, and I look at it this way. Um, when, when I was a, a kid, I had an imaginary friend, right? Uh, I don't know if anybody else ever had an imaginary friend. This might explain some of the things that are wrong with me, okay? Uh, but there was a, a time, very young, where my mom and dad said, hey, that's not reality. We need you to operate in reality right now, right? And, and there had to be these conversations around the fact that this is what the world looks like. This is what reality looks like, okay? There's a place and a time for pretending, but that's not how we function in reality. And that was taught to me, and it enabled me to be able to step into growing up, right? And that was an act of love for me right? To help me to be able to become the man that God called me to be. That's love. 
And I got to tell you, Paul is telling them some hard things because he's calling them out. Why? Because he loves them. And if you are ever sitting in here and you're hearing a message and you think, man, that's something I don't want to hear, right? That's the love of Christ, I hope, ministering to you right there, calling you forward to be a better person, right? To be, to be walking closer with him. And Paul's, this is just a big love letter. Paul saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I want my love to be with you. Why? Because we are brothers and sisters for eternity, right? And I say this all the time, but I have more in common with a Christian refugee from Syria than I do with an, a, a, an atheist doctor next door, right? Why? Because for eternity, that's my brother and my sister, Right now, I have a mission here, and that's to win the atheist to the to to the truth that the gospel will do the work of the gospel, so that now I'll have two brothers and sisters. Right? Okay. Right. But I have more in common. That is that holy greeting. That is that camaraderie that happens, and it bridges from one town to the next, from one state to the next, from one nation to the next. We greet each other in the name of the Lord. Why? Because we are brothers and we are sisters. And I got to add this, when it comes to writing in this time period, this was not a normal salutation, all right? What Paul said here was not the norm. Typically, it was very short, but for somebody to express love at the end of a letter was not something that in this Roman Greek culture that you experienced in writing. And Paul says, I love you. He puts it all on the line. Let's stand to our feet.